there's one thing. No, there are two things in life that are certain. Mm -hmm. One, trade wars are good. Two, <laughs> trade wars are easily won. Trade By everyone. Anyone who wants to get in a trade war can win one. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land with the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington, Washington. Hello and welcome to another POTUS Life. I'm Ryan Markley and with me is my custom. <laughs> oh, been drinking Excuse a little me. bit. Woo! Uh, and with me is my co-host, and one of the sexiest men alive. Look it up. If you don't believe me, look it up. Justin Azinga. What's up, Justin? I am one of the sexiest men alive, and trade wars are extremely easy to win. I bet. I, what, boy, are they only easy to win because you're so sexy, or are they just easy in general? They're un unconnected facts. Okay. But they're facts. Uh, yeah, they're no, facts. definitely real, not That's how alternative. Facts work. Yep. Today is March 5th, 2018. Sad day today. What happened? Mount Vernon lost one of its oldest trees from the recent storm on the East Coast. Uh-oh. The Nor'easter? Yeah. It was a Canadian hemlock planted by George Washington or planted by George Washington telling one of his slaves to plant it. <laughs> We don't or, really know the details. Or George Washington writing to Lund Washington, telling him to tell one of the slaves to plant the tree. He was at Mount Vernon, so oh, okay. we know that. In his diary, July 13th, 1785, he writes simply, transplanted the spruce and fir from the boxes in which they were sent to me by General Lincoln to my walks in the garden gates. Well, that sounds nice. pretty great. Yeah, well, now it's dead because of uh, not global warming. So we're sitting end of 1777. Washington was just fucking spanked in Philadelphia. Remember, everyone had to leave peace out. Uh, they evacuated the Congress. This was, I don't know, uh, the Capitol. So everyone had to like peace out. He lost and the English, the British move in. And then he also gets trounced at Brandywine. Remember those uh, four little redcoats that decided to hold themselves up in a tiny little house and just shoot? And George was like, or I as think we this call it one cup. What? This is this is where the real war's at. Let's fight this here. Forget everybody else. We're gonna just hang out here around this little stone house. It's perfectly fortified, and just I don't know, shoot at it while hundreds of our men are wounded. He wasn't always the smartest. He really. That's a fact. He was R-A-R-E, first president. <laughs> he 
<laughs> he probably couldn't even spell that. So yeah, kind of getting into it today, we're gonna we're gonna talk about kind of how the Patriots, I guess, in a in a way, redeem themselves. So General Horatio Gates, he's up in Saratoga. He engages with his counterpart in the British Army, a gentleman by the name of General John Burgoyne. He beats the shit out of General John Burgoyne. Although, however, it's interesting, Gates, and we'll talk about this kind of as we move through what happened at Saratoga, but Gates gets a lot of the credit for what went down. And to be honest, this is interesting. And it was funny, too, because we've kind of already talked about Benedict Arnold leaving, right? Like we talked about how he was a fucking traitor and moved along. But so we're going to step back in the timeline just a little bit and talk about he's still a patriot at this point. He has not switched sides and he's fighting with General Horatio Gates. General Horatio Gates engages some British on this farm in Saratoga. He's kind of just pushing forward, pushing himself forward, pushing himself forward, pushing himself forward. And I don't think alone with just the way that he, this is General Gates, wants to fight a war. He, he couldn't have won this by himself. He really needed Benedict Arnold to come in and just act like a motherfucking psycho. Literally, he rode into battle. Second time, he gets shot again. He gets wounded again. This, dude, this motherfucker is just out there. He's slaying people. He's just... You know, just giving him all he's got. And he's going full video game mode with cheat codes. Oh, he's cheating away. He's just fucking going to town. And I think because of this, the, the Patriots gain this victory at Saratoga, which is awesome. They've been losing, losing, losing. This is a really big win that they need. This win at Saratoga would actually help Benjamin Franklin over in France secure some extra funds and eventually this some of these wins this win specifically I think pivoted France going oh okay they've had a lot of losses but this is a pretty big win if they could they captured General John Burgoyne at this battle and all of his men this was so big and it gives the Continental Congress some wandering eyes yeah no and I'm definitely going to get into that these it's one of those things where Washington is losing so much and really in very silly ways. Like we've talked about him being at the house and he's stopped by four fucking British men. He's looking really foolish right now. And right after Horatio Gates wins, this pamphlet starts circling throughout the Congress called Thoughts of a Free Man. And it's more like thoughts about how I hate Washington and think General Horatio Gates might actually be a better choice for the commander of all of our military. Of course, we've got fucking shit-talking John Adams hopping up in this bitch like, all right, I've got some, I've got some things to say too. He already gave us the quote, in general, our generals have been out-generaled. And now as he's talking with some other members in Congress, he gives us the outgeneraled and twice beaten. This is them talking about George Washington. And to be honest, it's interesting because as news of the Saratoga win starts filtering into Congress, and Congress will know about this win before George knows about it, both officially and unofficially. So directly after this Saratoga win, Horatio Gates, oh, that just sounds like such a badass like actor's name, right? Like 
Horatio Gates. Like that is that's, Horatio Gates. That's actually he's on CSI like Miami, right? Like that's the name of the cop on CSI Miami. It's Horatio Gates. I'm like fairly certain, right? It's Horatio something. <sighs> what a powerful name. What a nice name. That could be I mean, imagine Horatio Gates, first president of the United States of America. That's that's a could powerful happen. name. That's a powerful that could have happened. Alternative history right here. So like I was saying, Horatio Gates kind of does a really shitty thing. Him and George have been in fighting for a little while now. Horatio Gates thinks that George is trying to steal all of his troops and, you know, basically sequester all the shoes and tents and all this shit and all the extra money that he can get. He's like, this motherfucker is trying to take all the resources He's giving me nothing, which isn't really true. Washington commanded, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but Washington commanded a very large and entrenched force facing brunt of the entire British forces, whereas in Horatio was kind of just kind of out there up in the north. There were a lot of patriots in the north, so he, he kind of had it easy, right? And it would be really foolish to think that Washington didn't understand that he was very much in direct competition with Gates and that Gates was really kind of trying to get in there and undermine everything that he was doing. And wanted, he wanted his position. I think a lot of people wanted George Washington's position because they thought that that meant they were going to be the fucking king shit of King Shit Mountain. George had a king very- King Shit of Fuck Mountain, you mean. King, that's, that's exactly what I mean. The drinks have been talking. Uh, this That's the drinks talking, Justin. <laughs> Washington very much understands he's in competition. But one of those things that we will see again and again is that Washington is willing to kind of just like, he's going to play it cool. He's going to be like, all right, fuck this guy. And it's interesting, kind of stepping back even a little bit before this uh, engagement at Saratoga, when they were trying to choose who was going to lead the North, this is Congress, when Congress is attempting to choose who's going to lead these, this Northern force, they asked George, like, hey, what do you think? At the time, a guy named Philip Schuyler, uh, who's actually Alexander Hamilton's father-in-law, what will be. Uh, sooner or later. He's looking good for this position of the northern leader, right? So they're like, hey, we've got some like, we've got Philip Schuyler, we've got uh, this Horatio Gates guy. Who do you think should be in charge? And he started lobbying for Philip Schuyler. Um, unfortunately, the one thing that Horatio, he, he had a lot of things going for him, but Horatio Gates really had the New Englanders hearts and soul because he was loud, he was direct, he was confrontational. He's like, hey, yous, hey, yous guys, get over here. Let's do this. So I think it's kind of like two opposing forces in like a space opera, Horatio Gates versus Philip Schuyler. So much. Those are such powerful names. My gosh, those are, that's got to be written now. That space opera. <laughs> Fuck. God, I didn't even have time for this, let alone write a space opera. He was given the direct choice, like, hey, you choose. And Washington was like, okay, listen, I like Philip Schuyler. Don't really like this Horatio Gates fella. However, I believe that it is the right of Congress and the citizens and you guys to choose. I'm not going to choose. I'm not the king. I am going to relinquish this control to the civilians. I want you to choose who's leading this army. 
And so one of my favorite Chernow quotes about this very specific thing is Washington seceding power to Congress and allowing them to choose. He goes, by seceding power to Congress, Washington allowed his scheming rival to nourish the fantasy that he held an equal and independent command and was beholden to only Congress. Here's Washington just being this kind of like master manipulator, right? He's like, Sure, you want to be in control? Have fun. If you think that you, you know, you're the only people that you report to is Congress, you'll figure out soon enough that like that's not how this is going to work out. So I'll just let you figure I'll let you figure that out. Horatio Gates did get some help from Washington on this Saratoga battle. He sent a guy named Colonel Morgan and some of his marksmen as well as just even allowing him to be in allowing Horatio and Benedict Arnold to be the the guys up there leading this whole thing. He did have a little bit of help in this, but none of this victory is going to be put on Washington at all. It's all going to be put on Horatio Gates, and Congress is going to start loving him for it. Like I said, Horatio did not actually tell Washington. He sent no correspondence to Washington whatsoever about the fact that he'd won in Saratoga. He notified Congress and then just kind of like let the crickets chirp. He wasn't going to be in contact with George. And George is like, what the fuck? Like, I know he won. I think. I, I think he won, right? Like, d- did he win? Did he even win in Saratoga? Did that happen? No joke. We have some journal entries that kind of we can see inside of George's mind. And he's starting to kind of question, like, did we even win there? Like, no one is telling me anything. So he starts writing to Congress. It's being like that like, old. Too much right now is I like John Fogarty singing that song because it's got to be a white guy. I have had too much to drink. Mm-hmm. It's funny because Congress is making all these comparisons between Gates and Washington at this point. They're like, "Well, this guy won. We like him. We trust him. He's brash. He always tells us what he thinks. He's not reserved. Like Washington is very reserved and quiet. Will only speak when he feels it's, feels it's absolutely necessary." Whereas then I think Horatio Gates would just speak to speak and be brash and be kind of noticed, right? It's un- but it's unfair for Congress to try to make this comparison between these two men. Washington was in the South. He was facing the primary commander of the British forces, and he was also facing the brunt of all the military forces. They were going after Washington. It's the largest armada that this part of the world had ever seen. I actually think it was the largest armada that the world has ever seen, right? Like that was, that's a thing that this was huge, huge. Yeah. It was absolutely huge. They had enough resources to basically just fuck with Washington a lot. Almost indefinitely, like almost indefinitely, right? Like the, the British were willing to just kind of play this war of attrition 
hope that at some point people would realize it was really dumb to be involved with this patriotic cause and come back to the British, become loyalist, maybe say the loyalty oath. You know, well, hey, we'll call it a day. You're still British citizens. We'll move forward. Fuck that Washington guy. We're going to hang him. And so anyway, Gates up north, there were a lot of patriots up there. There there were men when during this Saratoga battle, there were men just coming to his aid. Like, oh, you need some help? We'll fucking get our arms together. We'll form our militias and we'll come and assist you. Whereas in Washington, couldn't even find like shoes for his soldiers. So he's in Tory territory. He, Washington is. He's in territory where the son of Benjamin Franklin is on the other side. That's <laughs> the difference between up north and where Washington is now. Absolutely. So it's like comparing comparing apples and oranges. They're not really the same thing. They they might both be war, but the circumstances of that war are entirely different. And really, I think that both of these generals lost sight of what they were even fighting for. It kind of got to a point where they're like so busy in fighting one another that they didn't they like couldn't focus themselves together enough to win a war. And it's fascinating because Horatio Gates wasn't even interested in helping George for the cause. Like he won this. And instead of sending troops and other reinforcements to Washington to help him kind of push forward, he's like, I'm just going to I'm just going to kind of like hang out here and let my troops relax. And I'm not going to let George take any more of these fucking resources. I'm going to win this war. Fuck that guy. Basically, Washington is just sitting around again like, man, did this guy really win? Did he not? Is he going to send me something? Is he not going to send me something? Eventually, General Horatio Gates does send Washington some correspondence, but only because he heard through the grapevine that, like, Washington is really pissed that you haven't talked to him yet. Like, why don't you give him a call? You know, he just he just wants to hear from you. Text him. Give him a little text. Just a, just a hey, how are you? Won the battle at Saratoga. Love you. Bye. Horatio never calls him on the cell phone. You used to call me on my cell phone. Late night when you need my love. Call me on my cell phone. Late night when you need my love. And I know when that hotline bling. The cell phone. Washington is going to send young, handsome, dapper, sexy, good times Alexander fucking Hamilton to go talk to Horatio. And he's basically going to say like, hey, uh, you need to go tell that motherfucker that he needs to send some fucking troops up here. To help bolster this army, you've already had your win. We need help. We don't have the men. We don't have the supplies down here that we need to fight the main British force. So Hamilton was sent off to request, request nicely, and if necessary, demand that Gates send some troops to Washington, which this is a really bold move because Alexander Hamilton, young, sexy, lover boy Alexander Hamilton fucks like an alley cat. It's such an interesting choice that he would even send him up to go talk to him because he, I think he knows that Horatio is going to get one look at this handsome motherfucker and be like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? It's like Mike Pence going to see Hamilton, right? (laughs) It is. It is. General Horatio Gates 
catches Hamilton fever a little late in the game and not in the way that would be an enjoyable Hamilton fever. Because the 22-year-old Alexander Hamilton arrives in Albany to hand over Washington's orders. Gates is fucking pissed, to say the least. He even complains in a letter that he was too much of a pussy to send. Quote, although it is customary and even absolutely necessary to direct implicit obedience to be paid to the verbal orders of aide-de-camp in action, yet I believe it is never practiced to delegate that dictatorial power to one aide-de-camp sent to an army 300 miles away who is sexy and 22 years old. So this is Horatio's hot take to what's going on here. But like I said, it's part of a letter that he did not end up sending. Gates is obviously and kind of understandably reluctant to give up any of his men. But really, dude, you just captured the general and all his men of your opposing force. And it's going to be a while before the British retaliate. So he believes himself to be so hot right now. Hamilton eventually finagles one brigade immediately. It's the worst. It's like the B B team of all of Gates's men. He gets that one, two more promised. After cooling down, Gates is going to reply to Congress, tell them, hey, you got to wise up and give me command. So he gives into Washington's short term demand of troops, but he's kind of playing the long game here. He's trying to be a little political. The infighting does not cease. Washington becomes disturbed at rumors of the promotion of Thomas Conway. Kanye, Kanye, Kanye West. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Conway West. Kanye Conway is an outspoken critic of Washington. George actually had accused him of abandoning his men at Germantown, while critics like Dr. Benjamin Rush praise Conway, an Irish-born former officer in the French Army. So let's back this up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conway is Irish-born. He was educated in France. He's really in this whole thing to advance his career. Also He's handsome. He's also handsome. He is also handsome. Yeah. I said a handsome, ambitious little cunt. Yeah. Kind of like some people I know. Hmm. Is that my new nickname? The Conway Cabal? (laughs) (laughs) Conway Cock Cabal. (laughs) Conway Cockball. This is, it really also rubs George the wrong way because this is a goddamn foreigner trying to take up command that should They're be given to more jobs. experienced American-born men. George believes that Conway is motivated to bolster his position in France. Further, news that the board of war was being taken out of the control of the Continental Army and giving over to an executive body made up of general officers hits George's ear. So he's all flustered. He's got the Irish rash. Well, and these, these general officers were kind of beat a tree. Like, they were kind of like, just chosen by it's a popularity contest this whole fucking thing is a goddamn popularity contest like who cares if we're winning a fucking war like all the right people need to be in all the right places and they all need to be pretty 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 and this like this board of war thing was kind of new because i think they were kind of like ooh washington shouldn't have all the control we need some civilian oversight, which Washington was all about. Washington was all about the civilian oversight and kind of allowing these people to do what they need to do. But also, as the commander of the entire army, he definitely viewed this whole thing as a slap in the face because he's like, man, fuck you guys. Like, 
I can run this army. I just want you to appoint the people that are in charge. I don't need a whole group of people telling me what to do so I can tell other people what to do. That's like fucking pointless. I mean, and another point of this board of war was to kind of help create and enlist the help of people to give money to the cause, to help move around the assets of the Patriot cause at the time or what they had. So the tents and the shoes and all that, like they needed some, some logistical help. And as Washington was always, he was, he's been, remember, he's been complaining, like, I am doing way too much work all the time. I never have time to do anything. He's sending Alexander Hamilton around town to fucking just grab things from people's houses, which this did not make Congress happy. As soon as they found out about this, they were like, oh, we can't really be doing that, George. Like, and even though, even though he was issuing fiat currency, a note that could someday be redeemed if the Patriots won for the ammunition or the gunpowder or whatever, the shoes or the tents, canvas that they gave to the Patriot cause, con the Congress just had a problem with George taking it upon himself to go into these people's homes or to send uh, troops to these people's homes to gather things. They, they, they just, Congress didn't feel that was right. And one of the big people that were kind of pushing for this board of war, and I know I'm taking a little uh, detour off of our notes here, but John Adams was a really big fan of this board of war. And I think that a part of that was because he really, as big of a fan, and I know we've talked about this before, as big of a fan of he was of George Washington, he was very afraid that with every win that Washington had, he would just become more cocky, more pompous, more brazen. And it's kind of funny because we understand in hindsight that this was not necessarily Washington's aim, right? But we understand that as someone who, after two terms gave up his seat and said, I don't think that I should serve anymore. It's time for somebody else to step up and actually lead this thing. We can see that Washington was not this person, but John Adams is like, fuck that Washington guy. He's becoming cooler than me. I can't have that. Th that was kind of part of why Congress was, and, and why John Adams and other people in Congress were pushing for this board of war. I kind of want to move into some really awesome uh, shit talking because... It's about to get saucy up in here. Like, if you thought that Abigail Adams was a saucy bitch, let me talk to you about a guy named James Wilkinson. James Wilkinson was the aide for General Sexy Horatio Gates. He, upon delivering news of the Saratoga victory to Congress, kind of stopped by a few people's house. So we've got, he's stopping by Lord Sterling. He, and he went he's got a be, bag of weed. He's he gonna bring got out a that story from the store. He's just running errands. He's having a good time. He's like, we fucking just won some shit, and I'm a cocky, arrogant motherfucker. So I'm gonna do my thing. So as he's in route to Congress, uh, he's kind of just like he stops specifically when he stops at Lord Sterling, which he'll play kind of play into what's going to go on in the, this little saucy tale. But this Wilkinson guy stops in Reading, Pennsylvania, meets with Lord Sterling, and he's like, guess what? We fucking killed it, and Washington was a huge piece of shit at Brandywine. He fucking lost it. He's not doing well. I love General Horatio Sexy Pants Gates. I want to do things all up and down his big, beautiful dick. Like, I'm just, I'm on it, and I'm here, and I want it. Unfortunately, uh, 
for James Wilkinson, Lord Sterling was a friend of George Washington. They had a very good relationship, George Sterling and, I'm sorry, Lord Sterling and George Washington. Lord Sterling went to Washington and was like, hey, so this dude over here is like kind of talking some shit about you, right? Not only, he's saying things like, heaven has been determined to save our country. That's the end of the quote, but he's saying from George Washington, right? And he's saying things like, a weak general and bad counsel will have ruined it. You know, so he's he's just, yeah, he's being real shitty. And so not only is he carrying kind of his own shit talk remarks, he's like, yeah, there's also this Conway dude. He doesn't like him either. Conway's trying to have already, like, he wants out. And James Wilkins is like, hey, this dude who wants out, who Congress did not accept his resignation, was kind of like just a bunch of shit talking. Like, there's so much shit talking happening at Lord Sterling's house. And this James Wilkins guy is saying stuff that he he feels and thinks. He's saying stuff that Horatio Gates feels and thinks. He's talking about stuff that this Conway guy feels and thinks. And he's just like laying it all out on the table. That's what happens when you get the 40 and you're fucking smoking a nice spliff, right? You're just letting it go. You're like, I want to tell you everything. We're best friends right now. And so... It's like uh, Sex in the City. It, oh my God. This Wilkinson was definitely known to have a fucking loud mouth. He would have been a Samantha. You've heard he of Brandon Samantha. And Samantha. Oh yeah. No, that's what I'm James. saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> he was a Samantha. And Washington himself is just overall having an entirely shitty time in general. So... There's a lot of shit talking and a lot of bad stuff going on with Washington right now. It, things are not going well for him. And people know it. People are talking about it. And Washington, and if you don't think that Washington knows this, then you're fucking crazy because that dude had spies everywhere. My little birds are everywhere. 7-Eleven, bitch. That's right. Washington was having a pretty shitty autumn. At the end of November, Horatio Gates is given the role of president of the Board of War. Oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, fuck. This guy. Yeah, Washington is doing war. Horatio Gates, president of the Board of War. Is that demoralizing? I think that's pretty fucking demoralizing. Uh, Gates kind of just becomes Washington's boss. He becomes like head of HR, but you're you, the CEO. You win one battle and all of a sudden you're the prez. Congress was making it obvious that Gates was to stick around Washington's post and give him shit. Just kind of shit in his breakfast every day. <laughs> Washington is trying to like not get his ass beat all the time and asking Congress for food to feed his army so that they can do the war. Congress replies to George and tells him that he's coddling his men too much and that they need to acquire goods from the locals just to, like, rape and pillage, you know, that kind of shit. That's how you do war, guys, ladies. They're being really, really mean to George Washington right now. <laughs> they really are, though. They really are. They do not like and him. And it's kind of unfucking fair. They're doing <laughs> This is not fair. George's army is about to have a real shitty winter at Valley Forge. We've all seen the paintings. George is on his horse. It's it's wintry there. It, Valley Forge is a rough name, too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, fuck. Sorry. So, adding insult to an already demoralized commander, Congress appoints Thomas Conway as Inspector General for a newly created inspection system. Conway shows up at Valley Forge, and that's how Washington finds the shit out. Conway is no longer under his command, and the motherfucker wants to perform inspections. Washington is pissed. P-I-S-T. So... He is not really keeping his Washington cool. He's getting a little upset, you guys. He is rude as fuck to Conway. Quite honestly, I'm surprised he doesn't give him a paddling. Like that one guy that poached on his pants. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, doesn't yeah. pull down his pants and spank him. Reach into that canoe and just spank it. John Lawrence is said to have thought that George was close to challenging Conway to a duel. Lawrence might, may have been mistaken because apparently, according to some sources, George was certainly not a fan of dueling. Maybe he was close to making an exception. He may have been willing to choke Conway with his massive hands or crush him with his sexy thighs. So the board of war gives up and sends Conway to Pester General McDougal in New York instead. Bunch of soft dicks. There were a lot of soft dicks in that room. That is for sure. Kind of like we said before, there is so much shit talking going on. Like, like Washington was very aware of it. He's not an idiot. This guy, he's dumb, but he's not an idiot. Like, there's a difference, right? Like, he's not classically educated. He maybe has, like, a fifth-grade education, can barely write. But he's he's very deeply intelligent. He's intuitive. And he, he has a pulse. And people like him, so he knows what's going on. People are telling him what's going on. Yeah, but you know who else had a, a fifth-grade education? Who? A guy by the name of Benjamin Franklin. That's also true. And he a guy fucked by a lot in France. So it's Albert. not like... Einstein. Oh, really? Of course they went after fifth grade. They just kept going. But they, too, (laughs) also had fifth grade educations. (laughs) I also have a fifth grade education. We all have fifth. Well, most of us have fifth grade education. I was about to say, don't listen. Don't say that about our listeners. It's probably not true. Only because most of our listeners are probably 12 and they're not there yet because we talk about. Yes, 12. (laughs) Fourth graders love podcasts about history that say fuck and cunt a lot. Yeah. Oh, by the way, so I think this is really funny, too, because Washington, so no one informed Washington of, like, any of this board of war shit, right? Like, nobody told him about it. And then this is how we learned about it. Conway shows up. Like, he's like, hey, hey, stop him by. I just let you know, just say real quick, just stop him by. And he shows up and he's like, oh, I need to inspect all of your shit. Like, Are all weeks. your fire extinguishers up to date? <laughs> Are those shoes polished? And then George Washington is like, what fucking shoes, motherfucker? I've been writing to Congress for months now asking them for supplies. And you're like, eh, we don't have the money for that. So uh, just deal with it. We've got General Gates. We've got Conway. And we've got this dude Mifflin who are basically the guys writing all of this shit about Washington, right? And I think this is interesting. A guy, uh, we've talked about John Lawrence before. He actually had the thought that like, hey, if if Washington were in his private life and people were shit talking him this badly, he might 
duel those motherfuckers. Like, he might just be like, I want to duel, take off his fucking leather glove, slap the man across his face, and then march out to a field somewhere. And I think a lot of people held this belief. I actually think that Washington thought that uh, the duel was kind of this antiquated thing. But nonetheless, there were a lot of people that were like, oh, snap, George Washington is just like kind of dealing with it. And this is crazy. And and that just goes to, that speaks to me, that speaks to George Washington's character. He was able to sit back, take a look at what was going on, evaluate it, realize that most of these situations were temporary and they could be moved through. And that at some point people would see how shitty all these, you know, shit talkers behind the back, backstabbers were, would realize that Washington throughout the war maintained integrity and honesty and was like just this cool as a cucumber dude. I mean, we know that this is kind of, you know, going to win everybody over, but, and the fact that he's going to start fucking winning, let's not talk about that yet, but it's going to happen. We know, we kind of know what happens. These three guys, Gates, Horatio Gates, Conway, and Mifflin, they're all working fucking overtime. And, And he finds out about basically all of these guys shit talking him through Lord Sterling being like, hey, all these dudes are shit talking you. And I just, I actually saw a letter that Conway wrote to Congress saying how shitty you are. We know that Gates has been shit talking you and his aide fucking is also shit talking you. What does Washington do? Well, do you remember how he had that like infamous like flame up earlier with Joseph Reed? Joseph Reed had kind of sent some shit about him and he kind of like sent him that little letter basically being like, hey, you're being a piece of shit. And I like, you know, I just want to let you know. And he doesn't he doesn't actually like give all the details away. He does the exact same thing in this situation. He writes to General Horatio Gates and he's like, hey, uh, heard heard some stuff, heard some stuff. And he's like, uh, Alexander Hamilton, when he was here, must have been copying all my letters. There's no way that you, you know, that I, I didn't say those things. And, and any letter that was copied was copied in, in false. And, and that's not, that's not me. You know, that's, those are all falsehoods. And, and he's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And he never actually gives up like how he knows what's going on. Well, he does eventually. Because he keeps pushing and pushing and pushing Horatio on the subject. One of the things that and I find I love this that Washington replied was, and, and I and because we know that he was writing back to Mount Vernon, he was writing to Lund, Washington to, you know, take care of things. He always had this thought of wanting to go home. He write he pens this letter, right? He says, so soon as the public gets dissatisfied with my services or a person is found better qualified to answer her expectation, I shall quit the helm with as much satisfaction and retire to a private station with as much content as ever the wearied pilgrim felt upon his safe arrival in the Holy Land. There were so many times that we see Washington just completely ready to give up. And he's like, listen, if you fucks think that you can do a better job dealing with all this bullshit than I do, come at me, bro. Like, come at me. Do it. I'll fucking leave. I don't even care. And so I think that people loved Washington. They loved his character. They loved his honor. They loved his silence almost, actually, in so many scenarios because he let others lead. He didn't need to be at the forefront. This whole situation is kind of called Conway's cabal. That's, it's just saying like this was an active between 
three, four, five people specifically and just generally throughout Congress, just people were dissatisfied. And he's like, if you want me to go away, I'll go away. I think that this is why people, even like John Adams, who thought that George was sometimes a little too big for his britches, they would tolerate him and they would look over a lot of his errors because he was actually in it for the Patriots. He was in it for the cause. He really had this deep belief that the Americas, the people who were in the colonies should govern themselves, should be allowed to charge their own taxes. And he believed so deeply in this that he was able to maintain focus through all the political bullshit and kind of be like, I know on the other side of this, there's something to give up. So he, I don't know, he, I am not, I'm going to keep speaking in this silent tonal voice so that people think that I'm serious. I'm not certain he ever said that, actually. Uh, I don't, I'm not so... <laughs> so Thomas Mifflin, dude that was shit talking, ends up resigning. Conway tries to resign again after he fucking finds out that Washington knows that he's been shit talking him this whole time. The Congress was like, well, we really we'll just we'll just stick we'll just keep you away from Washington for the rest of the war. Like, don't resign. We need as many people as we can get, but like We'll just, you know, we'll just let you let it be because, you know, you like to go yell at people and tell them what to do. And like, we do need that, but like, just leave Washington alone. Gates will obviously eventually get his comeuppance. You can fucking trust you, me on that one. Oh, oh, and then Gates, I just wanted to talk about how he eventually learned Washington was like, because Gates kept saying, right, like, he's like, I don't know how you know all this. Like, people are telling you lies. And he's like, hey. You fucking idiot. Your aide? Your aide is the one who fucking has the biggest mouth on the whole goddamn world. And he's the one out there telling everybody that, you know, all this shit that you're saying, that he's saying, that Conway is saying, that fucking Mifflin is saying. He's spreading this shit around, just getting all loose-lipped and drunk on that goddamn ship. What's going to happen? Your boat's going to fucking sink, motherfucker. <laughs> it was so hilarious because Horatio was kind of like, ooh, Sorry. Whoopsies. Well, that seems like a good place to stop and wrap up for this episode. I think so. I think that's a good spot. And uh, while you're still with us and we appreciate you listening, go to iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on and rate and review. Definitely give us a review, please. That Give us five stars, but leave us some like honest, critical feedback because we'll totally listen to it. But we if, need those stars, if baby. Five stars and roast us in the comments, we will read it on, on, the on the podcast. And just be savage as fuck. And I'll send you a coffee mug. I have had them made. I also need to send one of our other listeners. Sorry, Thomas, I have not sent you your mug yet. You're, you're, you're in the list. That's okay. Ray Harris hasn't sent me my mug either. What a bitch. But speaking of uh, get, getting roasted, we finally have a negative review, review on oh iTunes. Oh my god, I was so excited about this when we you have said a it. one star review from <laughs> username History Liker or a History Liquor. We got a History Liquor. It reads: After listening to just one episode, I deleted and un unsubscribed. Glad <laughs> <laughs> he deleted and then unsubscribed instead of unsubscribed and, and deleted. Then Oh, because, just... man, that would have been a mess. <laughs> he goes on. So many historical errors. Or are they hysterical errors? I think he just got <laughs> wrong. 
lies, <laughs> I'm guessing, to further the host agenda. Oh, I have an which, agenda, yeah. And now we all know that I have an agenda on this podcast. <laughs> it's to make millions and millions of dollars. We're getting so filthy rich off this podcast, it's ridiculous. He goes on, hey, hosts, no witches were burned in Salem, which, okay, that's factually correct. Yeah, but that I think correct. they refer to witches being burned. They were hung. The witches were hung. Not, yeah. not in the jock. They were not hung in the jock. They were hung around the neck. Not with a jock, but just with a noose. But dead is dead. And sometimes <laughs> dead is better. History liquor. Historylicker.com. So leave us a, a rating and review and uh, like history. Or lick history, the choice is yours. Give us those five stars, baby. Critical reviews. Love y'all. Peace. Bye. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land with the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington, Washington.